watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're gonna take a look at three movies. Logan, Before I Fall, and Table 19. And as always, we're gonna rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. It is, indeed. And getting shorter all the time. Uh, but one time where I was okay with life moving really slowly for a long time <laughs> was the Oscars wow. this past Sunday. Time stopped. A date that will live in infamy. When was that? Um, I've lost track, but... <laughs> Uh, but it's infamous all the same. Indeed. What a night. Uh, guys, Rebecca and I did not end up watching it together. No. But we were in text textual contact uh, throughout the proceedings. We were. And uh, and Rebecca was uh, just trying to be quick to the late breaking memes as they were uh, hitting the just internet. Popping them off to you. Popping them off. Popping them off. Popping bottles. And, I, nev- uh, I had the clearest, the clearest picture of you doing the sound that you make. Which is, and I'll step back from the mic for this. What? <laughs> Goes a little something like that. It's pretty close. But I can't get that high. Um, <laughs> I've seen you pretty high. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, it Which was... why I couldn't come over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, guys, we are, of course, talking about the finale, um, which was unprecedented yeah uh and which has left me feeling like it's a different world uh than we lived in beforehand it was the shock of all shocks Mm -hmm. and um so but rebecca walk me through you watching that moment were you with shasta (laughs) i was with shasta we were on the couch and uh uh she's very anti la la land even though she hasn't seen it, but she <laughs> so fiercely anti La La Land. What a dear! Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love that about her. She's not afraid to speak about things she does not know <laughs> passionately. <laughs> um, I do love that about her. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she's—I mean, she has good social reasons to to <laughs> be really fine. disappointed that Moonlight didn't win. She loved Moonlight. Yes. Um, so it's, I think she's texting me right now. She can tell. Um, are you talking about me? What the fuck? Um, so anyway, uh, so she's like, okay, so tell me, did La La Land deserve this? You've seen them both. Like, you know, after, and so we stopped looking at the TV and like, we're looking at each other. And I was like, well, you know, it's like, a, it was a big production. You know, it, it was a big movie. There were a lot. And like, I'm sitting there just like dancing and like trying to make a case for La La Land. And, and she's looking at you she, just like, staring daggers at you. Like right. you supported this movie on your podcast. I mm-hmm. hope you're happy with yourself. I am responsible. I took responsibility for that. <laughs> um, and that internship at PricewaterhouseCooper didn't right. help. <laughs> uh, and then as soon as I'm sitting there just trying to like dig my way out of like saying why this is a good movie, like we both look in the screen and we're like, what's happening? And then we saw that Moonlight had won. So that all that like like bullshit I had been talking about how it could have been better than Moonlight was for naught. And you were just giddy. You had no longer anything to apologize no, for. No. So no. that's nice. Yeah. And then we, it was, uh, 
recording while we were watching it. I don't think I set it to record. And they were like, wait a minute, what just happened? And we rewound it like three or four times to like yeah. try to figure out like when things were going on and like why that jerk decided that it was a good idea to still give a speech even though he knew he, he lost knew. and then was, was kind of a, a douche about it. Yeah, um, I, hear, I hear that guy is a dick. He seems like it. Yeah. Seems like it. Uh, and now walk me through you. Well, Your time. Um, so I would say, so I'll say in general that I found the whole ceremony to be a delight. Mm-hmm. Uh, genuinely, I was enthralled. Um, I thought that uh, right from the beginning, I enjoyed the like really upbeat, fun intro with JT doing his Trolls song. I'm so glad Trolls got some time. <laughs> trolls got some love. Um, you know, there was a brief Musketeer reunion between JT and Gosling, mm-hmm. which was always nice to see. And, uh, you know, and I, normally I'm not down with like that kind of forced sense of like, guys, this is fun. This should be fun. Mm-hmm. Let's all have fun. But, like, something about it just worked for me. I was like, okay, yeah, let's have fun. Um, Kimmel, I thought, was very funny. I, I appreciated how uh, political it was. Yeah, um, yeah. What did you think about uh, Gary from Chicago and the crew from the t- from the tour bus? So that made me extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, there was... Uh, this was, of course, before we all found out the backstory of Gary from Chicago, mm-hmm. um, which is um, checkered. Um, I mean, it happens. And uh, he's a registered sex offender. Oh, I did not hear that part. Yes. Um, <laughs> see, he was uh, convicted of attempted rape. I did not hear that. Um, and then he was just brought in to kiss the hands of various ladies sitting in the front row. I see. So, um, but I mean, it's still, you know, that was, you know, many years ago that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the reason that, you know, he had just gotten out of serving a 20-year prison bid three days earlier and uh, this is all stuff the LA Times reported on a big profile on him. And their angle was not to do um, like muckraking. It was being it was framed as a really inspiring story because I guess he had been released early because he had been um, so reformed um, mm. while in doing his his bid, and was like a model sit a model prisoner and was you know positively impacting other inmates. And so oh. that's why he got this early release. Um, but all the same, I have to wonder if various people in the front were, were what they thought when they found sure, out that yeah. that guy, like, given full, like, no security access to them in the front row, um, had gotten out of prison three days earlier and previously had been convicted of attempted rape and is a registered sex offender. I mean, I, I to that point, I, I do feel like the best part of that um, that skit was how well the celebrities rolled with it. Yeah, they were all they, very friendly, and Denzel was great, and Jennifer Aniston giving it was weird. The whole setup was weird, and Jimmy Kimmel was weird. Yeah, uh, but the celebrities, the the actors and actresses were like really. Uh, I noticed that Mahershala didn't want to quite let go of his Oscar, which I guess <laughs> I don't blame fair. him. He had that's just fair. gotten it, and now some like random guy who got off a bus is like grabbed Gimme. it and then gave him his phone to take <laughs> a picture of it. Uh, it was because there was something about that Gary from Chicago that I was like, this dude is reacting in a strange way to all this. Because like everyone else who's ever him was kind of having the same kind of like, whoa, bewildered reaction. He just kind of seemed like, well, I don't know what this is, but I'm just going to smile and fill it with my phone. I think that's what you, happens when you go to prison. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Now I understand like, why his reaction was what it was. Because he'd just been in prison for 20 years. It's like, I'm just going to figure this out. He had no frame of reference for any of this at He's this like, point. this happens all the time outside of jail, right? right? He was like, okay, sure. Um, you know, but like, meanwhile, his fiance had the appropriate look on her face. Yeah. Of, One of, of the best absolute, memes that come out oh, of it was, was Ryan, Ryan Gosling whispering in her ear. Oh, God, so good. Yeah. I saved Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see uh, the one for Get Out? Uh, the one, oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, 
I thought your you had a very good um sort of similar uh social media post about your uh conversation with um Oh, Emma Stone. Yeah, your conversation with Emma Stone. Um, which was not a real conversation. Which one. was not. No, yeah. it was just the laughing. She was laughing at you. Well, I mean, we were actually talking, but when my, what I posted was a joke oh, transcript yeah, yeah, of that course, conversation. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, so if you are interested, uh, Jason posted it on Twitter. You should follow, yes. him. follow him on Twitter. Yes. Well, actually, I didn't post it on Twitter, but it's on, my, inst- it. but it's on my Instagram, which is the same handle, excess baggage. But uh, yeah, so the, the bus thing was, I mean, it was, it was kind of interesting, but it just mainly made me like extremely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, just the whole thing. I was like, this is, the, what are we doing here? This is, this is just, this is strange. Um, it was a fun idea and I, but I feel like everyone, no one had like the full, um, uh, what's the word? Like the, the price is right. No one had the full price is right reaction mm-hmm. that I think they were hoping for. Yeah. Everyone just looked petrified and immediately very nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, except for Gary from Chicago, who right. <laughs> just rolled with it because he has just gotten out of a very difficult place. Um, so this was not even on his radar in, in, in no. the same way that it was for everyone else. No, I mean, I feel like, like when you have to like happening? live and shit in front of other prisoners, yeah. you're not really worried about. Um, no, no, being he, on he just TV rolled or... with it. He did not know who probably almost anyone was. No. Um, he knew Denzel. That was about it. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Um, so to the end. Yeah. So and then also you... we can talk about. I mean. Initially, the bit with um, Sonny Power from Lion. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking, like, Rebecca must be loving this. But then on further thought, I was like, that was a little tone deaf. It was a little tone deaf. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a little strange. Yeah. Um, but uh, not as strange as uh, celebrities who have everything being sent candy from the sky. <laughs> That was weird. Yeah, that was like I guess that was from when Ellen kept like having food delivered. Yeah, and, and then they're like, well, let's just keep doing that. Um, I mean, I guess they get hungry in there. I, I mean, know. I f- I feel like they should hand deliver them sandwiches or something. Just leave them under the seat. Little soup shoot shooters. Soup shoots. <laughs> soup shooters. <laughs> just Oscar soup shooters. Yeah, well, they should be having. You're like, you know, that's the good life. It should be the good life. I soup want shoots. them to be to be drinking the whole time. Champagne and soup shoots. Yes. that's what Rebecca imagines the good life to yeah. be. Come to my birthday party. It's all the soup shoots you want. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so it's all coming along, coming along, coming along. And, um, I was getting a few things wrong in terms of who won. We failed in our pledge to post, uh, who you should vote for. Yeah. And we apologize for mm-hmm. that. Um, but I won my office pool. Oh, nice. I got 17 out of 24 right. Wow. Which is really not even that great of a number. Um, but that just shows what a weird year it was and yeah. how unpredictable some of it was. So, but um, I got all three shorts right, which I feel oh. like is a once in a lifetime occurrence. Yeah. Um, so I was Have like, Have you seen all of them? No. I mean, well, I don't vote on wh- what I like most. You know, sure. I vote on what I think will win because that's otherwise, what's the point of doing the game? Sure. You're not voting. Uh, <laughs> your vote means nothing, is what I'm trying to say to all of you. Um, but in this case, um, I did pretty well. Moving on to that moment, it was uh, myself, Scott, and then our friends, Ruth and Sadia. And, uh, and also, Mima was floating in and out. Mm, um, mm-hmm. She kind of left earlier because I was screaming too much when literally nothing was happening. Um, so <laughs> she had had enough and uh, left to go hang out with someone else. Um, but so, you know, so it's all going down. And it seemed just a foregone conclusion at that point. Um, you know, it had one director and mm-hmm. one actress. Um, you know, it did not win original screenplay, fortunately. And it did not nearly sweep the way that it could have. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed like, okay, like, this is what's happening. Like, the, just, like, look at this room. Like, this yeah, room is La La Land. Sure. It's still just, like, this room just further shows why a movie like La La Land does so well with this group. Um, so, so La La Land won. 
Ruth um, had been gradually getting angrier and angrier throughout the night every time it won something. (laughs) And when it did win, she just like got up and stormed away, went to the bathroom and um, to take a hate shit. (laughs) No, I kid. (laughs) And um, and so then we're watching it. And so it's me, Scott and Sadia. And then because it was two minutes and 30 seconds between when Faye Dunaway said La La Land. And I like, you know, this like it's the Zapruder tape. (laughs) It's been studied like that. It was two minutes and 30 seconds between when Faye Dunaway said La La Land and whenever it was officially sent to the microphone that Moonlight had won. Um, and so we're just sitting there. It feels like forever because it's like boring producer speeches. It's always so anticlimactic that the Oscars ends with producer, producer speeches, speeches because no one gives a fuck. No. Um, and, uh, you know, so Mark Platt's thanking his booby and everything. And it's like, okay, right. cool. We get it. Um, and, um, you know, and then we're like we're just sensing, watching it in real time, sensing something happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, was like, but no, what could be happening though? You're like, well, that's weird. How rude that there's like stagehands bustling around. Right. Um, and then I think I remember first really noticing when you see a guy go, go over to Justin Hurwitz and rip the envelope out oh, of his yeah, hand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And then Scott started like, he's like, something is happening. And we're like, what? What? What's happening? And then, you know, and then that fucking asshole bald guy is like giving a speech. He's like, oh, we lost, by the way. <laughs> Terrible. And we're like, what? And then, you know, and then he's like, yeah, no, Moonlight, you guys won. And then, you know, Jordan Horowitz, like the knight in shining armor of the whole thing, oh who God. handled it with such dignity and grace and rested away from all of the nonsense, <laughs> um, you know, like a producer should, was like, okay, I'm taking charge. Yeah. <laughs> um, like a real producer. Like a producer should. He was like, I'm taking charge, you know, like Moonlight, this is not a joke. You guys have won Best Picture. I did think it was like a, one of those moments where they were like, no, we're giving it to Moonlight because we think it's best picture. Right. I thought it was that at first because I oh, was, yeah, no, wasn't I, looking yeah. at the screen when they were kind of doing the thing. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't think that at all. I was like, oh, my God, it actually did win. Um, and then when they held the envelope, that was when the roof blew off my building and all the windows went out. <laughs> <laughs> and I started screaming at Ruth over in the shitter. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Ruth! And you're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, get the fuck out of this all year! And, uh, and this it, is why we have to buy new mics every three and, weeks. <laughs> And it was, I just screamed for like five solid minutes. <laughs> um, and just like seeing, just, uh, what? Like six months, six solid months lead up to that moment. Mm-hmm. That is the whole point of all of award season is that one award. And so to have this just unprecedented fuck up <laughs> between the two like could, things couldn't have been more contested like it no. would have been missing it would have been you know not quite the same caliber but like misannouncing who won the presidency yeah i mean uh, and then like they, oh two minutes later like, oh just kidding um, if they would have been if it would have been um uh casey affleck's card in his hand instead of emma stones and they were like manchester by the sea <laughs> Oh, that would have been sadder. That's the thing. It would have been sadder if because like, they would have been more been surprised like, like, and happy. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, just kidding. Um, and then Lonergan would have gone and write a play about how sad it was, and then it would have won an Academy Award. It's true that he has struggled. He can't catch a break. But, <laughs> but I mean, I felt, I felt ultimately like I was so blown away and excited for Moonlight, but I was so humiliated for La La Land because I felt like it almost gave it, un, it inadvertently gave the trolls what they wanted. Because La Land did nothing wrong, and yet alt- and yet it was crucified repeatedly right. for the last three months. It has become such a scourge. It has become a, a conflated with Trump, 
as if it's somehow mm-hmm. an extension of him, which is deranged and has no foundation in any reality. And then to have this public humiliation of going on stage, having your like winning face on, be like, oh my God, oh my God. And then to Well, Chazelle didn't make many efforts to, to switch his face around at and all. And then to find out that you have not won. And then to watch the entire audience give a standing ovation <laughs> that you have not won. I don't know. I think it's kind of funny. I don't think it's funny at all. I, I think, think that, that um, yeah, I think that I don't know. I think that it, yeah, it was a terrible mistake, and these shows have been should have been more professional. And you know, I, I saw the Hollywood Reporter's breakdown of like the accountants tweeting and where oh he had God. the two envelopes. And I hope that that's I wish a- it would have been a moment where they like it, it would have been any other. Um, envelope like it was like the one the one that had like Star Wars Rogue One for right. audio. Suicide Squad <laughs> Zootopia <laughs> I hope that that stupid <laughs> it is now an Oscar winner congratulations to Academy Award winner Suicide Squad you could have pulled it out in the end I hope that that Brian Cullen and dumb fuck is the kind of guy who everybody at the office hates. Uh, they do now. I hope that he is like, that was pure schadenfreude and that everybody at the office was like that fucking asshole You're watching also... him posting his tweets and then that happens and they're like, oh, this is too good. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, I'm totally sure I, he's that I guy that comes that back every case. year that's like, and then Emma and I were like, oh, right, this. Exactly. And then he's Casey like, he's and like, I... Emma was so close to me. Emma's like, it was a private moment with just me and her. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, I will say this about, so the face that Damien Chazelle was making, which I mean, I can't say I wouldn't have been making that face if I was in this situation. Um, because he, there were so many pranks and all the people in the room thought it was like Kimmel doing a, doing a bit. Mm. So that was him staying there processing, being like, uh, so is this real? Cause you know, or is this, is this, is this sort of thing is actually happening? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Cause Kimmel comes out on stage and he's talking to the microphone. It's like, is this all some kind of joke? Um, but you know, I read I, I read the um, the joint interview that Variety did with mm-hmm. Barry Jenkins and Damien Chazelle the next day, and you know, I love I just love that they are such fans of each other's work and mm-hmm. so supportive of each other's work, and I think that all the division among the fan bases um, needs to go away, um, and that just read that they, they both of these teams love each other. And they yeah. respect each other's work. I mean, I think that the, the, the point is not so much that um, the pushback against La La Land is about La La Land or its creators, but like what it represents in the world and like the privilege and then the escape is not even the escapism, but the privilege and the um, the way you, like it just seems like white frivolity like wins again. And I don't think that it, it's like people hate Damien Chazelle or people hate Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it just represents a bigger climate in the world of like this really solid piece of work about black queer people, mm-hmm. you know, gets pushed aside and doesn't win, even though it was r- truly excellent. And I think that it, I think that that's that's part of it. I don't think I mean, I'm not I'm sure there are people that are like, you know, Fuck that movie. That movie was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like, you know, it, there's a, a deeper part to it as far as there being like a division. I understand that. But I'm saying that I believe that is unfair. And I believe that La La yeah, well, Land is You know is what being, else is unfair? I believe that, well, this is, uh, I'm talking about. We just had the first like, like black female actress win an Academy Award in like in our lifetime. Like that's unfair. There's a lot of what? unfair in things. In our life? Halle Berry. You just, what? Oh, okay. We've had one leading. I was like, I thought you meant Viola Davis. I'm like, we've had so many supporting actresses in that category. Um, who were uh, women of color. Like, but there's a lot of unfairness that I know there's unfairness, but and what the fuck does... I mean, how, when you say there's a lot of unfairness, that makes every argument moot. They'd be like, well, there's a lot of unfairness. What I'm saying is I don't like La La Land being crucified for a crime that most movies are guilty of. I feel like La La Land was unfairly maligned because it had great critical success. But at the end of the day, it's a movie that represents what most movies from um, you know are about, which is a fun time. 
Right, but that's also like a lot of movies are about that because a lot of movies, um, it, like like when you're comparing it to a canon of like a play of of movies that are created from like white privileged people, like it belongs in that in that category, sure. But like that's a category that needs to kind of be infiltrated by other experiences and other stories. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, it, it's it's not different or particularly bad. It's not thirteen hours. Like I don't think that it's terrible, but like. Even in its innocence, it's like still, it's still okay to think that it's part of the problem. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, I just think that it's not fair to La. I think it's a projection onto La La Land. I think that La La Land, I see how you know, comparing it to Moonlight, that it does make it look that much more white and frivolous. Um, but I think to in any way delegitimize La La Land as a cinematic achievement is bogus and it's unfair. And, uh, and I think that, you know, like it's not, these movies didn't choose to come out in the same year. Sure. Like, that's you, true. you know, like it's just what happened and I think they're both great and I'm glad they both won a bunch of Oscars. I think that's fantastic, you know, but, uh, you know, I was prepared for La La Land to win and, you know, and I would have been, you know, fine with that. I think the fact that Moonlight won, which was not foretold by any pundit, um, you know, is a sign that the Academy, and maybe it's a sign of improvement maybe it's a sign of you know or maybe it's a sign that you know they're just like we're trying to silence our critics like it's anyone's guess but i love that moonlight ultimately did win Mm -hmm. um i just think that la la land i just hate that like you know damien chazelle and the people who made this movie have to sort of have this achievements somehow maligned and besmirched by this backlash that is entirely about the projection of meaning onto the movie um, versus like what they have made in the movie itself. It's this isn't a fully formed thought, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, I, it kind of reminds me of remember that girl that like sued the school system because she said that like uh, affirmative action like took away from her ability to get into a college. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like this that argument sounds like like there was this great great white thing that happened um but like it's getting not as much praise as it had, would have gotten 5 10 15 years ago because there's like this other other situation in the room um that's like finally getting a chance so i think that like sometimes uh, like the um and this isn't like necessarily that's the way the academy should have mm-hmm. voted but like how people feel about these things is that uh sometimes it's okay for like a really good white thing to uh not be celebrated because it is a really great white thing because it's in an industry where those things have been celebrated um for years and and have had the opportunity to have been made um so i i think that it's okay for, as we're working through this like you know yet last year was oscar so white as we're kind of working through the muck until things get better and things get you know things are getting better um but they're mm. not quite there but when things if they were ever to be like just straight on neck and neck um uh fair then i think that that that's this is a part of like a growing pain of, of that mm-hmm. um but but yeah i i feel like there are a lot of unfair things um, that happen in, in these because like things are aligned with race. Like to say that like um, it's unfair to, to hold Moonlight or to hold La La Land to the standard because it's like white um, is is also like for years things because they're black have been considered a, a way and that's been unfair. Mm-hmm. So as these things kind of, you know, as the as the experiences start to overlap and, and change, I think that mm-hmm. they'll you'll see this a, a bit. Um yeah. Also, I mean, La La Land was great, but it also wasn't so great. Like, <laughs> I think it was. 
I think these. Do you are think bo- it was the you thought it was the best movie you saw last year? You know good and goddamn well that I named Moonlight my number one. We did it together. Okay, okay, okay. Like, I, I, don't, don't push me into a corner where I'm saying something I'm not saying about La La Land. I'm asking. Yeah, I'm asking. no, I think it's it was genuinely great. I think it was genuinely great. Like, I think these are both movies that are fantastic, and I'm so excited that award season is over, and that now we can appreciate them for their own merits out of the context of this award season, which has been so bonkers mm-hmm, and so toxic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that we can now enjoy them. I think they're both movies for the ages. Like, I've watched them both so many times, and I think I'll continue watching them both so many times. I think back to when I watched both of them for the first time in September, and both of them were just like... Where did you see them? Tiff. Ding. And both of them blew my mind. And, you know, and I just... The thing that I'm trying to say is that I don't like the idea that La La Land is somehow guilty of something. I don't think it's guilty of anything. I think that it is emblematic of a system, sure. And I think that eventually certain things have to take the fall. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, for these conversations to be had in the same way that, like... There were a million shows about white people, and then Lena Dunham made girls and was crucified. Mm-hmm. Um, and because that was just the thing that took the fall to get that conversation moving. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but I think there's a difference between what things represent in the larger cultural context and mm-hmm. the piece of art itself. Mm-hmm. I think the piece of art that is La La Land is not guilty. I believe mm-hmm. that it is, it's representative of the things that you're talking about, mm-hmm. but I don't believe La La Land itself is guilty. I think La La Land is a beautiful piece of art. Um, that happened to come out in a year in a climate, and especially post-Trump, when I think, you know, the left is feeling especially sensitive mm-hmm. and wanting to, like, you know, just stake victories where it can. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it became about, it became so much more significant, um, that moonlight win um, mm-hmm. in that climate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, and I, I get that, you know, yes, like, obviously it speaks of the racism that's been, that this is the first time the Best Picture winner has happened that was featuring an entirely black cast. A Best Picture winner written and directed by a black man. A Best Picture winner that is about an LGBT story. Um, You know, like these are all amazing firsts. And it's sad that it is the first time. Mm -hmm. And I repeat, I'm overjoyed that Moonlight won Best Picture. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I hope we never have to have any of these conversations about these two movies (laughs) painting them against each other again. I um, hope next year it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, um, I did a lot of screaming, and um, and I love that this is another embarrassing moment for Faye. I mean, I love Faye, um, and I guess you know she was she just went full Faye right away at like the parties afterward. People were like, "No, oh, you know, would you like to comment?" And she's like, "I will not be speaking about it." Um, and uh, and she's like, "Put it in the category with Mommy Dearest for things that I will not comment on." <laughs> Uh, uh, so. I saw. I saw. I read something that someone overheard her at the bar just talking to someone, and she was like, "Well, I fucked that up." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she was talking about the fact that her sleeves weren't fully buttoned. <laughs> yeah, how many times have we watched this? That's all I wanted to do was just button up the sleeves at the top. Oh, but um. But anyway, Such a caretaker. It was uh. So yeah, it was. It was just an unforgettable ceremony, and the finger pointing continues, and uh, and uh, for for who to blame and what happened, and and uh, wow, just. Oscars, man. Fucking I mean, Oscars. this really works out well because we're about to talk about three movies today that are probably all going to be Oscar contenders. <laughs> Logan, Before I Fall, and Table 19. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no picks of the week this week. We do not. Let's just start there. Um, you've already listened to a half an hour of us talk about the Oscars, <laughs> so we're just going to give you a break in case you need it. Uh, no picks of this week. Um, but you know what? There's still time to go see Get Out. That's true. If you're looking for a movie. Uh, I'm going to go see it again. I finally saw it. Oh, okay. Well, we've already talked too much. So if we wrap these three up quickly, then maybe we'll talk about that. 
Um, so the first movie we're going to talk about is Logan. In the near future, a weary Logan cares for an ailing Professor X in a hideout on the Mexican border. But Logan's attempts to hide from the world and his legacy are abandoned when a young mutant arrives, being pursued by dark forces. We got ourselves an X-Men fan. Maybe a quarter of it happened. And not like this. In the real world, people die. Logan. I don't want to talk about it. Logan. Just stop. Be careful. I need the girl. What girl? Go get her. Uh, so uh, we have, even though the name doesn't sound like it, another superhero movie for us to discuss. Uh, this is about Wolverine. Why, they, why is he called Logan? Because that's his name. Okay. Um, he's a mutant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, so this um, movie has, I feel like the other X-Men movies from what I've seen in trailers um, have like a very like space feel to them. Like it's a very modern, futuristic um, this is like kind of like a Western and like a family drama almost. This seems mm-hmm. like a different, completely different type of uh, uh, superhero movie. Am I uh, am I wrong? You are correct. Oh. Yes. Um, so it's directed by James Mangold, uh, who's made movies like 310 to Yuma. He also made the movie The Wolverine. And, uh, and he's definitely uh, made this chapter uh, of the Wolverine arc into, yeah, a very much sort of like a beaten down old Western. Um, like that's... Just top to bottom, what this is. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's like Wolverine crossed with Unforgiven or some shit. Oh, that sounds promising. Um, I mean, okay. So <laughs> this is a movie that is making straight men's heads blow off of their bodies around the country. That sounds like a win. Uh, <laughs> and, like, I have seen such hyperbolic gushing. Um, about this from so many dude critics Mm. and it just did nothing for me really like i have seen like this is literally going to be on people's top 10 lists really oh this will be on people's top 10 lists at the end of the year and And you you like you like superhero movies you liked a good number of them i mean i I have enjoyed a few of them but but, you're not anti them like some people i know (laughs) right um but yeah, I mean, like, I there are some that I've enjoyed, um, but like, this is just—it's so brooding and so joyless and so grim. Um, you know, it's it's very much like a you know a, it's you know more of a Christopher Nolan type version mm. of this story. And this is what I've always disliked about the thing that I enjoyed about Brian Singer's original X Men movies was that it had this really kind of like dynamic ensemble cast mm-hmm. and these kind of cool progressive messages about, you know, like outsider mm-hmm. empowerment and, um, you know, sort of like underground network of people working together. And, um, you know, that was always cool. And he had a real, you know, flash and dazzle to his directorial style. When Wolverine started to get his own stories, I, was like, oh, cool, because he was always such an interesting part of the, you know, it was his star-making role. You know, Hugh Jackman became a star because he played Wolverine in X-Men. Mm-hmm. And um, this is the 10th time he has played this character in a movie. Really? 10th fucking time. Um, and it might be the last. Where have I been? Um, watching Better Things. Rewatching The Lobster. Rewatching The Lobster. Three or four times. Um, and, uh, and the thing that, you know, so at first I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. He's a breakout character. Of course, give him his own movie. But then watching his own movies, 
he is not fun to watch for me because he's just tormented. Mm. He has one speed and that speed is like grimacing torment. And that's it. It's not fun to watch. I'm not compelled by this character. I've never been compelled by this character. I am just bored by this character. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad this is probably the end for this character because I can't take any fucking more Wolverine. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, so in this movie, I think Logan is going to be, um, for people who are invested in Wolverine as a character, this is going to be an extremely cathartic film. Mm. Um, But for me, it's okay. It's like two and a half hours long. Oh, that's good to know. Um, so it's like this epic length movie and, uh, it is rated R. It's their first time going R. It's a hard R. Um, they're all just throwing F-bombs around as if they've been talking that way the whole time, (laughs) as if we're somehow expected to be conditioned to hear Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier saying, well, fuck you. Um, which is not a thing he has said, I believe in any of the previous installments of the Mm X-Men films. He just said it all the time in the next generation. (laughs) Right. Just then. Um, that Picard, potty mouth Picard, they called him. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, the the violence, they finally, you know, they let Logan get as nasty as he wants to be with those uh, those blades, um, just doing every bit of gory, ungodly damage to a person's face and neck and chest area that you can imagine that they never really let him do in the previous movies. Mm. So there is that element to it. Um, there's the little girl. Yeah, how about this firecracker? She's kind <clears throat> of like a badass superhero, right? Well, I mean, she is, she's, it's it's a trope. It's like Chloe Grace Moretz didn't kick ass, and mm. um, and you know the little vampire girl in uh, Let the Right One In slash Let Me In. Um, you know, it's like I think Vulture just ran an essay about today. Like, why do why does our culture love like silent, violent little girls? And mm. um, because this girl says nothing from almost the entire movie, um, and she does have like an amazingly adult poised presence and energy, despite looking like she's like ten years old. Mm-hmm. She's also scarier than Logan when she's killing people. Like her her kill face and kill screams are way scarier than his hand. Be like thing that he does um, uh, with all his fucking veins popping out. He looks like present day Mel Gibson in this movie. Oh God, which is not the look. Oh wow, that sounds puffy. Um, perfy. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, he. I mean, he's in way better shape than President Mel Gibson. Sure, sure. But his overall, like, broken down, um, uh, you know, salt and pepper guy look is mm-hmm. like straight up former, you know, President Mel Gibson. Gray skin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. General, you know, kind of oiliness. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So this little girl, um, whose character's name is Laura. Is, you know, it's interesting, but then as the movie goes on, you're like, oh, actually, you kind of just have this one thing you're given to do. Um, mm. Kind of one speed, one note. Same as Wolverine, you know. Um, she's just like a young Wolverine? Uh, yeah, you could say that. Um, and, uh, you know, she's kind of glowers and, and gnashes and, and kills and... Um, you know, and we're meant to ha- we're meant to feel like, oh, like Wolverine has is having this paternal kind of thing forced on him, caring for this little girl and trying to get her from point A to point B to safety. Um, but again, I, I just wasn't feeling it. I just didn't care. Um, uh, Patrick Stewart is back as Charles Xavier. That's what I want to hear all about. Um, he is. They've taken everything about this has been taken to an extremely dark place. The Wolverine movies have always been very dark and brooding, but this is another level. And um, the timeline question is never fully answered. Like, where is this happening in relation to all the other X Men movies? Mm-hmm. All we know is that apparently there's like 
they're like the X Men are all gone, um, oh. and uh, and like they're these are like some of the only there's like it's just them left, and they're kind of living in exile as the movie begins on the U S Mexico border, and uh, and uh, and and Charles Xavier is kind of he's been he's he has dementia and oh, he no. and uh, no so he's like he's in a really bad way oh no and um and he keeps having these like little seizures where like uh but since he's Charles Xavier his seizures mean that like everything around him kind of freezes and all these intense like wavelengths are shooting out of him and like Wolverine has to kind of like push through the wavelengths to get to him and give him a shot to calm him down. Oh boy. Um, it's, it's bleak as fuck. Um, Steven Merchant is in it. Um, uh, he's in two of our films this week. He's also in oh, Table yeah. 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he's, and he's, you know, he's, he's great. He's playing a character that they have not introduced um, previously. He just kind of shows up and he's this character and he's like a pivotal character. Um, and he's, he's good. He's fine. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, it's just like, oh man, it was just a slog. It was just, it was, it's very, it's self-important. It really mm. carries itself. Like we are doing the good, heavy and important work of concluding the Wolverine saga in a way that everyone will deeply care about. Um, mm. and, uh, it just like, you know, and granted, sure. It's, you know, it, it, it it's not for like fair weather fans. I don't think of, the character of X-Men of that whole universe. Like this is, this is the conclusion of the Wolverine saga. And it is for people who are very invested in that. And, uh, and I'm not saying that because, um, it's like somehow like a shitty movie and only diehard fans should see it. Um, it's not a shitty movie. Um, it's just that, you know, you know who you are if you're somebody who has enjoyed the other Wolverine movies. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you'd have enjoyed the previous Wolverine outings, then you will also, um, then, then you should absolutely see this, um, because it is, uh, extremely momentous in terms of, uh, the things that happen, um, to its characters. Um, but. So, uh, this isn't one to start off with. No. (laughs) Yeah. No. Um, don't start with Logan. Uh, I sort of thought it would be because it was, you know, kind of different from the others. Um, but it's called uh, Logan. It's kind of like when Beyonce put out Beyonce. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's when a new uh, statement of self. Garth Brooks put out Chris Gaines. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. No. This is this is this is not the place uh, to start. Um, and it is it is. Oof. Yeah. It is tough. It is dark. It is bleak. It is not fun to watch. What are you giving it? I'm going to give it a consume moderation because, mm-hmm. you know, it's still, you know, it, it's just that it's just not for me, mm-hmm. but I know that it's for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, for me it was, I just, yeah, this is, this is, this is, as I said, this is like straight guy catnip. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but me personally, it did not do much for me. Um, so, yeah. As you mentioned, it's rated R for strong, brutal violence and language throughout and apparently some brief nudity. Strong mutant violence. <laughs> Strong mutant brutality. Uh, <laughs> that brings us to movie number two, which is uh, much lighter. Not really. Uh, Before I fall. February 12th is just another day in Sam's charmed life until it turns out to be her last. Stuck reliving her last day over one inexplicable week, Sam untangles a mystery around her death and discovers everything she's in danger of losing. Maybe for you there's a tomorrow. What happened last night? What are you talking about? (laughs) Seriously, that's so funny. Been having deja vu all day long. It's all high school things. Just a blip. Watch out for the truck. What truck? 
regardless of anything I do or say. The day starts and ends the same. My mom's going out of town. Out of town and you're having a party? Yeah, how'd you know? So here we have a story of a teenager. Um, and that's kind of where you lost me. Um, we, we talked about this a little bit after the movie that Jason and I think about the story of teenage women a little bit differently. Um, where I I tend to, when, when a movie reminisces uh, from a teenager's point of view that they're like, and this happened in third grade and then we were friends in fourth grade, I'm like immediately checked out because I feel like I don't have any uh, capacity to think back that far, nor do I think that you're a human or that it matters what you did when you were in third grade. Um, but you have more affinity for, for those uh, types of movies. And- I mean, I'm endlessly fascinated by high school. For sure. Mm-hmm. Endlessly fascinated. Um, you know, like a lot of my favorite movies take place in high school. High school is so formative for so many people. High school is a microcosm for the way we kind of interact the rest of our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think that's why high school movies always have appeal for me. Because, you know, like it is it is the social formation of how we relate with the world and with our friends and with our enemies and, um, you know, how we move in packs. And, you know, like it's it's. Yeah, I, I will always be fascinated by high school stories, and um, and yeah, before I fall, uh, definitely had my attention. So you think of it as like an anthropological study of of humanity. Um, in a way, I mean, like Mean Girls was literally based on a book about anthropology. Um, so uh, you know, that one certainly was. Um, I do think it's interesting anthropologically. I think it's interesting emotionally. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, I don't need to dress it up in some sort of academic concern. Um, <laughs> I need you to dress it up in some sort of academic concern. I'm not going to. Uh, no, I just enjoy it emotionally. I think that, you know, like thinking back on, uh, I, and I am a, a nostalgic person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely will cop to that. And uh, and so, you know, I, I think back on, on high school and I'm still very close with a lot of people from high school. And Yeah, so I was going to ask, do you think about mm-hmm. your own high school experience a lot? Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say anything about it a lot, but like I have a, a lot of, when I, when I think back on high school in general, my overwhelming emotional reaction is one of great positivity. Hmm. Um, even though a lot of horrible shit happened, mm-hmm. um, I feel great nostalgia for high school and I love my high school friends. And, um, and so, yeah, I, but you know, but it, it's interesting to me because I feel like not many people have expressed to me what you have said what you said to me after we watched this movie, which is that you just categorically are not interested in high school stories. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of some that I that I would be. Um, I mean, I guess I wouldn't. I wouldn't like turn turn not see something because it was took place in high school. But I definitely get bored very easily uh, mm-hmm. if something takes place in high school. I guess to me, like I don't remember high school in a bad way. And I have uh, you know two at least two great friends uh, still from high school or the high school age, but like. Um, I feel like I've changed so much since high school and that it was kind of just an, uh, at the time, of course it was the most significant thing and mm-hmm. you're never going to see past it. But, um, I just, I did. And it was, it was kind of, as they say in, in the, when part of the clip, like it was just a blip, mm-hmm. um, that I don't feel any connection to that person that I was or how I acted or how I mm-hmm. ran with friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's why maybe I've kind of done a bit of a 180 since high school and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I certainly have known people who have felt like they need to really push their high school experience away and, and judge it and put it down and be just like, oh, well, that was different and that was not who I am. And, and you know, like, I feel like I definitely was who I was, you know, like, I feel a very strong connection with who I was in high school. I think I'm actually way more who I was in high school now than I was when I was in college. Um, but uh, Interesting. Yeah, because high school, uh, college was definitely a detour period for me. 
Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think that, and I also love drama and when is a more dramatic time in your life when you're a teenager and, you mm. know, when you're just like encountering all these things for the first time and everything seems so big and so outsized. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't judge the high school experience. I don't judge the teenage experience, you know, like I think that there is much to be learned from looking in general, looking back where we've come from and what our experiences are. And, uh, and I think certainly, you know, psychologically, a lot of the reasons why we react to things the way we react is from things that happen in those formative years. So I think it's kind of worth considering from that point of view. Yeah, I think that, you know, you can have a lot of uh, bruises that affect you the rest of your life that can that can happen in high school, I guess. Um, and, and, you know, we all have them. I guess mine just probably didn't happen in high school. And um, so I, guess, I don't know. I don't feel like a hatred for my own experience or, or for, I just it just seems I don't know. It's, interesting it's, it's very strange that this is the first time that this has come up in over a year of like a year and a half of doing this podcast and this is the first time that we're talking about a teenage movie and I guess it's been a slow your, year for teenage movies I guess it has I mean 20th Century Women the main character was in high school but like that like that makes sense to me because that wasn't like his high school experience wasn't sure. so much no and he never went to school point. on the movie yeah also I think, that <laughs> uh, I think it took place who does when it at Benning's your mom but um, we but haven't had any movies because you, you, you didn't see The Edge of Seventeen, um, mm-hmm. which was brilliant. You're like, how have actually you've never come to any of the high school movies? <laughs> my plot, my uh, it's all revealed. Ploy has been cards on the table. <laughs> um, you've been uh, you worked an expert long con on me to make me think that it was always an accident. <laughs> I got to another accident. You <laughs> thought I was a terrible driver. Whoopsie daisy. <laughs> but then again, you watch a story like Girls Lost, and you're interested. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess. So you have to have something that you find redeeming, like, socially or culturally about it. It can't just be a story like this one about, like, a straight white girl. Yeah, I mean, this one This one was particularly hard to, um, uh, I don't know, be interested in for me. The story wasn't super fresh. Um, the high school experience was definitely, like, played up these uh, stereotypes of high school girls um, and high school boys uh, in, like, a very, you know, rich, white American setting. Um, that I don't know. I just I didn't interest me. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the, uh, in high. In, I mean, that was that was what Swedish or Danish. Yeah. Um. So Girls there's lost. a mystery there, and it, I you know like the there was bullying, but it was I don't know. It wasn't. Uh, this is like almost like a uh, like a drag version of what high school girls are like. Like it, it felt like very over the top. Um like a like a commercial of like what high school girls are like well you know and i think that that is well yes and no i actually felt like there was a lot of and maybe this is because i've watched a lot more teenage movies than you but like this on the grand scale of like movies set in high school had a lot of kind of almost naturalism to it and the way that it depicted sort of this very it felt all very natural and unforced sort of like the way that these four female friends relate with one another their conversations felt very off the cuff they didn't feel overly scripted i think the acting was good um, in that part that felt yeah. that felt comfortable but like the the i i felt like in my high school experience at least mm-hmm. um there weren't these like uh cliche bullies uh, mm-hmm. like these girls are like or like they're mean girls right Kind um, of that sort of like mean girl click that the they, movie, it I has mean, a nice balance with that because like they are but they aren't like that's not their whole job they're not actually like Heather's where they like live entirely to destroy people's lives like they enjoy each other they have a lot of fun together and it just so happens they're also really snatchy to certain underdogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yes, it, it is more realistic than Heather's where they're not like which wasn't meant trying to be realistic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Um, but I, I don't know. My high school didn't have a group that, like that that was like, oh, that's those girls that are like the prettiest ones. Mm-hmm. And they like like literally yell at like the nerdy girl mm-hmm. in the cafe, cafeteria. Like that didn't happen. Oh, I think mine and did. If, um, if anybody was that person, it was me. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is what really came out of our conversation is that Rebecca was the bully. I was a little bit of a bully. Uh, but even that was like, I don't know. In my mind, it was pretty chill. I'm like the Liz Lemon. I go back and everyone's like, oh, it's that asshole. <laughs> Everyone was so mean to me in high school. I don't know. <laughs> um, God, that was a good episode. That was so good. Um, so, uh, but yeah. So, and I think also, I mean, you know, gay men certainly are very fascinated by um, bitchy girls in general, and mm-hmm. uh, and bitchy teenage girls in particular, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's you know the just the the social emotional dynamics of teenage girls are very very fascinating um, to gay men for some reason. Um, and I know we talked about this after the movie and you were like, well, it's not fun to revisit just because of like all the things that are happening chemically, hormonally that lead to that kind of intensity, you know, are not, are not fun to experience and not fun to revisit. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I in general, um, have a, have a different, uh, tolerance level for drama. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do I say this without insulting our friends? <laughs> <laughs> So when I when I was in high school, I always felt like I was ready. I, I felt like I was older than high school. I never like and when I did have these kind of like crazy feelings of like this is going to be the end of the world and everything's so terrible or you know these people don't like me today and it's so um, was horrible. And I feel like I've sort of uh, you know got past that and I've trained myself out of like going back to that place ever. Um, and then so like when people I'm around do, I have like a very low tolerance for it. I was like, no, let's just like let's not kind of like dive into that. Let's not like talk about our feelings or emotions <laughs> ever um anyway maybe i'm on the other side of the spectrum but like to me like yeah the nonsense that goes on in a in a in a teenage girl's head it couldn't be less interesting to me that's yeah and i'm, I'm totally more like what's opposite. going on in isabel hubert's head is she like trying to teach philosophy I, I know i sound like a pretentious asshole but that's i mean that's me <laughs> i was then and i am now well yeah and then meanwhile i'm like actively pursuing it by watching every Real Housewives city because, you right. know, it's women well into their 60s still carrying on <laughs> into like high school girl pack mentality right. and, you know, in like strategizing ways to take each other down socially. And oh, it's so fascinating. I just love it. I can't get enough of it. Um, so with that all said, <laughs> um, Before I Fall. So um, there's a movie about There's this, this movie <laughs> called Before I Fall. It's funny, actually. Are we talking about this week? We are. Um, so uh, it's directed by Rai Russo Young, a female filmmaker who came up from the indie world. And uh, and it's 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 Teenage Girl Groundhog Day. Uh, we haven't said mm-hmm. that yet. It's Teenage Girl Groundhog Day. You know, it's the same day repeat over and over again. Um, that um, that we gather is is the first time we watch it. It ends with this girl being killed in a car accident. Then it starts over again, and then again, and then again. And um, and there's a stretch in the middle um, that Rebecca and I actually both enjoyed, where it starts to seem like it's happening for no reason. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. she gets one of the days done where she does everything right as far as she can understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it gives her a lot of practice. <laughs> it and, takes her a long yeah. time t- <laughs> to figure out what to do. It takes her a long time also to even figure out that she's yeah. being groundhog dayed. <laughs> Um, like four days. It takes least. no, no. It takes until the probably like the actual end of the second time she lives the day. Like the second time she lives the day, um, she is like 
looking very suspicious as literally the exact same thing happens over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then it's like very, very late in the day that she finally is like, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, So that was a a little, little snaggle in the writing that I was a little confused about. Um, So there was a stretch in the middle where she, you know, so she does everything right as far as she knows. And then everything is still the same. She wakes up and the same day repeats again. And then it starts to see something that's going in this sort of interesting existential direction. I was really and interested we, yeah, at this point. Yeah, at that point, we were both kind of hooked in, into mm-hmm. it and like, okay, like, where is this? Like, how is this going to resolve itself? Like, what's the conflict going to be? What's the tension going to be? And um, there's one segment in particular that's very interesting where she just goes in the darkest timeline for a day. So good. That's the best part of this movie, for um, sure. And just just burns everything the fuck down um, in her life uh, because, you know, she knows it's going to start the next day again. So why fucking bother? And in that way, like, I found the movie actually really interesting just, like, philosophically. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, all of us, you know, like, just live our lives the way this girl's living her life. And, you know, all of us are imperfect. And it's interesting to imagine the idea of being forced to relive the same day over and over again, just observing these different ways that you are not perfect. You know, just, like, Mm -hmm. these different things that you could be doing differently or doing better. Like, oh, I didn't even realize I had this effect on this person. Or, like, Mm -hmm. there's this whole dynamic going on I hadn't noticed. And, um, and, uh, so I feel like, you know, just, it's, it's, it's really interesting, uh, almost like a, you know, almost like a, a searching moral inventory of herself mm-hmm. that she has to take. Yeah. I um, feel like because that part was so interesting and then the way it ended up, uh, sort of resolving was maybe why I feel, um, more disappointed about this movie. Cause I felt like it could have gone so many ways from there. Like she could have really turned up the burning it down the next time mm-hmm. she could have done so many crazy things. Right. I really opened up like a possibility there with, with, um, I mean, I right. just, well, but she has such a absurd bad thing, but she does have such a bad, I can see why she wouldn't want to keep doing that though, because she is, she doesn't make her happy to be bad. Right. That but day. Even, she gets no joy bad. from She it. could have done all sorts of things. Like they only really sure. show kind of like, Two alternative days, like one mm-hmm. she spends with her little sister, right, uh, and her family, and then one she kind of this where she kind of is this really. There's also some montages girl. that suggest like many repeats, don't they? Or is, or yeah, is it, but or they don't kind of show yeah. what you did with it. Um, yeah. I mean, you could like go steal a police car. Like there are all sorts of things you <laughs> so could. So Rebecca do. was projecting, uh, <laughs> is what she's trying to say. I did like when she flirted with her teacher. Oh yeah, there is that. That does happen. That was that was the day she was burning it all down. Yes, um, the teacher is young and handsome, and he, <laughs> because it's a young adult movie and it's not super uh, subtle, uh, he is repeatedly teaching a lesson about Sisyphus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's that. Um, so and that ha- and then he makes the same STD joke over and over again. Mm-hmm. Lame teacher joke. It is a young adult movie. I think that's important to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, Based on a YA novel. Mm-hmm. And I think as a young adult movie, it's important. I think that eventually, when they get to the lesson, um, which is about bullying, mm-hmm. turns out, <laughs> um, which uh, where you lo- where you lose Jason. <laughs> No, I mean, well, where it lost Rebecca, really, because uh, you once it got to that, you were like, oh, so, you know, it just took her so long to realize that she should just stop being a total fucking monster um, to, <laughs> like, really this, to, like, to this, like, all, this poor girl. The last thing she thought of. <laughs> she, like, literally tried wearing a different dress one day. <laughs> and then, like, 15 instances later decided she shouldn't be a total asshole to this to the girl that everyone makes fun of. And then things will set themselves. <laughs> That was a little frustrating. But uh, but with that said, it is, um, you know, I think when you are a teenager, your head is so far up your own ass. That makes sense. And you have no real concept of the world around you. And, um, and I think that it would take, you know, especially a girl who has been relatively sheltered and entitled 
who has every creature comfort, uh, you know, who is wrapped in her gossamer blanket of attractiveness. Has and a gay dad. And <laughs> Rebecca was getting gay vibes from the dad. The mom was played by Jennifer Beals. Yeah, that was a surprise. They kind of held up. <laughs> you can up. imagine there was, there was a mutual, there was a, a heavy lesbian exchange of eyes between myself and Rebecca <laughs> whenever, whenever, whenever Bet herself uh, appeared before us. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she, you know, she took, it takes her a while to really strip down all these different layers that she has, um, you know, sort of insulating herself from the reality around her, you Mm -hmm. know, it takes her a a while. Um, and like, and I was saying to you afterward, like there were definitely a handful of people in my graduating class in my very small graduating class, um, of like 90 people, um, where like these guys were just tormented every day from like kindergarten onward right to the end and no one ever questioned it mm-hmm. like it was never even questioned it was just like the, the way it worked so and you know the idea that it was you know the idea if it had been suggested to us like oh well why don't you stop that you would have been like laughed out of the room because <laughs> like well that's just the way it works that's just the dynamic you know so it wasn't as like as mind-blowing to me that it took her so long to figure out that like she should just not be a snatch to this like poor girl who is like so <laughs> obviously tormented um but uh but, you I know, mean, she was a shitty artist. She was not. It was just, yeah, there's lots of, you know, labored charcoal drawings. Spare me. <laughs> but uh, so the young actress who plays the lead is Zoe Deutsch, who is the daughter of Leah Thompson. And she mm-hmm. is very good. Mm-hmm. She's, yeah, she's very, great. very good. She has to play every conceivable dimension and shade of this young girl um, in, in, in the same and to have distinctly different reactions mm-hmm. to the same scenario over and over and over. And she fucking nails it. Yeah. She's really, really stand out uh, in this. It would have been, I feel like it'd be a really weird movie to, to, to make. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Of, like, I mean, um, keeping track of it, because I'm sure they weren't, they didn't, you know, no movies filmed, um, in, you know, uh, in order. Sequential order, yeah. Right, so, you know, I mean, like, they're, I'm sure every day on the call sheet, she'd have to be like, okay, so now you're, it's this day, and, like, the thing she's realizing this day is this, and yeah. so you're supposed to kind of look around too. at people. Yeah, it's like a lot, of this, sure a, a lot of the footage they kind of reuse, but then, like, right. her response to it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in that way, it was, it was clever. Um, the girl posse is also uh, diverse. Yeah, there's uh, a... there's only two white girls in this one, <laughs> and uh, then one Asian girl and one Persian girl, mm-hmm. um, which we were especially heartened by because uh, that's certainly an under um, depicted population mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in films. It's in the Pacific Northwest, which Rebecca hates, <laughs> was not pleased with. <laughs> it's another teenage movie set in the Pacific Northwest, still with that kind of blue gray filter to it, mm-hmm. which looks great. I mean, it does look yeah, great. It does look great. Uh, there's definitely some insane real estate porn going on in this movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's one great line where this, this movie takes place, uh, when the school is celebrating Valentine's day and there's this like lesbian in the class and she just like blurts out like, I'm living in a heteronormative hell, yeah. <laughs> which was funny, which is funny. Cause you were literally thinking that in your head before she said it, <laughs> you're like, get out of my head stock lesbian character. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, and that's one of the things that, uh, that, the that Zoe Deutsch's character does too, is she kind of like takes the moments to like go and like talk to all these people she doesn't normally talk to and sort of like get their take on it. Like mm-hmm. she has an extended lesbian showdown, uh, in the mm-hmm. bathroom yeah. with that character and, and they, they, they swap shoes. Yeah, that's weird. She takes her lesbian boots and goes and wears them. You mm-hmm. know, she's walking in her shoes. See, it's symbolism. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a young adult movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like as a young adult movie, I would say, um, I mean, I would say if you're a teenager, binge it. If you are an adult person, uh, I don't know, maybe consume in moderation if you have uh, some time to spare. 
Yeah, I would say consume moderation overall. I think that there is a lot about it that works surprisingly well. It does lay on the cheese a little thick in a few parts that makes it harder to recommend the whole thing. Um, but uh, but overall, I think as the way it's made as a film is 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 incredible. It's beautifully directed, beautifully mm-hmm. shot, beautifully acted, and it does have a surprisingly you know an emotional kind of uh, punch to it thanks to the acting and the mm-hmm. and the editing and. Yeah, I was uh, I I was I was pretty engaged the you whole time. You were crying so much. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, before I fall is rated PG-13 for mature thematic content involving drinking, sexuality, bullying, some violent images, and language, all involving teens. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Table 19. Ex-maid of honor Eloise, having been relieved of her duties after being unceremoniously dumped by the best man via text, decides to hold her head high and attend her oldest friend's wedding anyway. She finds herself seated at a random table in the back of the ballroom with a disparate group of strangers, most of whom should have known just to send regrets. As everyone's secrets are revealed, Eloise learns a thing or two from the denizens of Table 19. We didn't think you'd be coming. You RSVP'd no, and then yes, on an RSVP card that you barbecued. After two years, you break up with me over text? Good luck with your future endeavors? Were you firing me? What right the- here. Do you know what Francie's mother calls Table 19? The table that should have known to send regrets, but not before sending something nice off the registry. What? The table that could disappear in the middle of the wedding and no one would even notice. The table of people they don't care about? How are we doing back here? Let's go. Tell me about Table 19. <laughs> you like the way I tossed you that softball? <laughs> uh, you know, I like how open-ended that question is. There's a lot of places <laughs> I can go with it. Uh, so the thing that makes me really mad about this movie is I love this concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This concept is so fucking funny and has so much potential to it. The idea of like sitting a whole movie at that kind of outcast table at a wedding mm-hmm. and everybody having their own stories about like how they ended up there. Uh, it's rich. Yeah. It's a rich concept. There's it so would be a great play. Uh, the story cred is actually shared by Mark and Jay Duplass, uh, ah. weirdly. Um, it's shared by them with um, the director, who is named like Jeff Schnitzer, I think, um, and who um, previously directed uh, Anna Kendrick in a movie called Rocket Science that kind of put her on the map in some ways. Hmm. Um, she did a movie called Camp, which is very near and dear to my heart. No one saw it. Then she did this movie called Rocket Science in a play at Sundance, and then Catherine Hardwick was on the jury at Sundance that year, saw Anna Kendrick in this movie, put her in the Twilight movies, and that was kind ah. of what kind of started this this momentum going. It's still going strong today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he also directed that amazing documentary, Spellbound, about spelling bees. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. That's mm-hmm. this guy. That's the same director. Um, but, oh, don't. Don't, uh, don't, yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not, uh, not one that you could really put on the level of either of those movies really so um so it's a a fantastic concept with a great cast you know so we have anna kendrick we have lisa kudrow craig robinson playing a married couple that are kind of um very frayed and kind of on the outs with each other very tense um and they don't exactly sizzle together as actors um we have june squibb playing Mm -hmm. the um the, the forgotten first nanny um, we have Tony Rovalori from Grand Budapest Hotel mm-hmm. and uh, and Dope playing this mm-hmm. kind of like horny teenage boy who's there because he's the son of some friend of the family, but it's not really clear why his family isn't there with him. Um, and we have Stephen Merchant who plays um, the uh, like the uncle of the groom who is has just been released from prison, so he's a real Gary from Chicago type. <laughs> 
Um, but but the joke is that like he is just like trying to hide the fact that he just got out of prison the entire movie, but he can't really hide his general weirdness. <laughs> and he just like keeps having these like weird stunted responses to things uh, because he hasn't really thought through what he's going to say that is not prison when people ask him like what he's been up to. Um, and uh, so and and as in Logan, he's kind of the highlight of the movie uh, in certain ways. So. The entire movie takes place in and around the reception. Uh, we don't have to see the wedding, thank God. Um, so just reception and then in and around it. And the main reason why Table 19 starts to not work is that it's actually kind of, it, tr- it takes itself kind of seriously, weirdly. It oh. ends up going in this like stereo comic direction. Um, and uh, like Anna Kendrick's character, um, Eloise, we first get a sense that it's going to go in a somewhat less comedic direction uh, when we find out that Eloise is actually pregnant um, with the um, best man's baby. And and then even with that disclosure, you're thinking like, okay, so it's gonna be like some sort of like farce where he doesn't know she's pregnant. But no, he knows she's pregnant. And like, this is why they've broken up because they had a fight about how they wouldn't be good parents together. Oh, I'm like, well, that's, that's not funny. I'm like, that's not funny at all. That's some real shit. Uh, so I started mm. to get, so I started to get angry <laughs> that it was going in that direction. Um, and then the, um, the sort of the, the, the relationship between Lisa Kudrow and Craig Robinson uh, goes to some very dark places. Um, their, the breakdown of their marriage is kind of excruciating um, mm. as it, as it plays out of the course of this film. And, uh, and again, not fun at all. Um, we have this whole thing with June Squibb where she finds out that like, you know, she wasn't even like wanted there and she was forgotten and she only got invited because the groom's nanny got invited. And, uh, so it, all of them, uh, minus Stephen Merchant and Tony Revolori are just being like broken down. Hmm. And, um, you know, so, which is, which again, if that was what the movie was committing to be about, this sort of more like searching, almost like theatrical, like a theater piece type mm-hmm. character study, that would be a different thing. But it wants to have that and also be like a wacky farce where mm. like the whole table as one is like running around together dealing with all these like little adventures and mishaps. But all at a re- wedding reception. All at a wedding reception. That's where it seems like it gets a little much. And once they like go outside together in the trailer, I was like, what? No. Th- yeah, they go could all... have just really taken place at the table. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, a you know, the whole wedding is like happening like on at a hotel where all the guests are staying. So all of their rooms are right mm. there. And, and it's one of those. And uh, so it makes sense, you know, it opens up the setting in that way because like all their hotel rooms are like coming, can come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but so, and but we're meant to believe though, you know, this disparate group of, 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 of random outsiders that they bond so quickly and are so invested in Eloise's romantic troubles that they all just start following her around. And so, we're, you know, she'll be like sitting in the bathroom and then everyone comes in, they're like, Eloise, what's wrong? Mm. What happened now? And it's like Craig Robinson. It's like Craig Robinson doesn't give a fuck about this. <laughs> uh, you know, he might be the one where it's hardest to believe that he is like taking this active interest. Right. Um, in like some like random white girl at his table <laughs> and like whether or not that she's still going to be with her ex-boyfriend. Um, her the father of her child is played by Wyatt Russell. Um, when he clearly has other things going on in his life with his marriage falling apart. Exactly, and they all just kind of like and he's table, a grown man, and they just table that and just kind of like go on these, you know, oh the whole group is moving as one, and you know there's like oh they're running off to deal with oh let's find that guy and let's go, like so it's not, it all feels 
very forced and Mm -hmm. just it rings false everything about these dynamics ring false it feels almost like every actor just like went off into a room and just like worked on their character on their own and like okay i have my character my character is this but like they didn't really work very well together Uh so it's like they all have these like very developed kinds of characters but that's kind of overly developed for what kind of movie it is Mm -hmm. and they don't do a very good job of having them organically mesh um so everyone's kind of in their own little movie Mm -hmm. um and uh and they don't come together very well and it's just jarring and weird and they all start getting very close and you don't buy it at all um that is a real bummer this premise did sound the premise is so good so good the premise is so good and um uh, another thing that's jarring is that at the toward the end of the film lisa kudrow and craig robinson have a shower love scene So that's tough. <laughs> uh, that's a tough thing uh, uh, to bear out. Why and, is it tough? Uh, because I think that the reason that they were both cast is because neither of them naturally lend themselves well to like romantic chemistry with a co-star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, okay, so we'll have this married couple that makes no sense um, because <laughs> like neither of them have chemistry with anyone ever and, and they'll just like have no chemistry with each other. Um, and they are not, the scene is very intimate. It's not comedic. No, no. It's not like a funny, like banging in the shower scene. Um, it's like a very extremely tender, intimate moment of like this, like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's like a scene out of Blue Valentine. I'm not even kidding you. Um, and, uh, and, oh, and, man. and we're like, you know, and she's like in the shower and then he like tentatively walks in after her trying to rebuild the marriage. He turns to him and it's like Craig Robinson and he like, his like big, you know, big hairy back is in the shot. And then they start to <laughs> make out under the faucet and, and it's just like, oh, 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 no. Oh, I don't know about this. Um, it's not a great use of Lisa Kudrow. I mean, it's good. It's, you know, she is somebody who does very greatly lend herself to you know comedic stuff and dramatic stuff like with you know within the same beat um so you know but overall it's still just not a good use of her like everybody is kind of not used especially well anna kendrick definitely gets to like have a full anna kendrick type role mm-hmm. and do all the you know traditional beats we expect from her in terms of like just sort of you know tart tongue comedy and um you know and she's she you know it's great it's a it's a fine role for her um, but you know, and she's kind of one of the only things about the movie that actually makes sense. Um, cause the rest of it, you know, like in terms of the movie that is actually happening and the movie that each of them think they're in, mm-hmm, yeah, she's the only one who's in the same movie as like that, that we're actually watching. Mm-hmm. Um, but that still doesn't, uh, excuse this kind of weird, um, you know, this weird pathos fueled, um, undercurrent that gradually sort of rises up and seizes the whole thing. Yeah. It's, it seemed like it almost kind of tried to have almost like a, like a little Miss Sunshine, like inspirational yeah, feel to it. Yeah. It's a little Miss Sunshine up in the air, like that kind of, yeah. that kind of vibe. Like it definitely, you know, it thinks of, it's funny you mentioned Little Miss Sunshine because there are moments when they're all sort of like bonding together and hanging out, out in nature and hanging out in all their hotel rooms. Where I'm like, this feels like it thinks of itself as like a Sundancey kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that kind of classic Little Miss Sunshine, Sundance, dysfunctional modern family type mm-hmm. thing. Um, or dysfunctional, uh, uh, unconventional family. You always have to talk about modern family. <laughs> Night terrors. <laughs> um, so, um, but it doesn't earn it. It doesn't earn it. It's not believable. Um, it doesn't work. What a bummer. So what are you giving it? Um... You're like, oh, okay, I binge it. Yeah, I mean, it is <laughs> pick so of the kind. week. It is pick of the week. So <laughs> no picks uh, of the week. No picks week. of the week this week. No, I mean, I, I, it, 
it's too well-meaning um, for me to fully like say it's in the back. So it's definitely a consume, but it, this is like an airplane movie. To go back mm. to an earlier classification that we started to use, this is a full-fledged airplane movie. Um, it is if if you're trapped, um, <laughs> it's a perfectly fine. Even though it does get a little serious at times, it's 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 yeah, it's a forgettable airplane movie. Yeah, I can't wait for the person sitting next to me on the plane to watch me watch Lisa Kudrow and Craig Robinson <laughs> bang in the shower. Well, it's either that or they watch you writing fanfic about that exact scenario. <laughs> so whichever one would be more fun for them, I guess. Um, I have terrible handwriting. They'd never know. Uh, Table 19 is rated PG-13 for thematic elements, sexual content, drug use, language, and some brief nudity. That's the last one. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Be sure to subscribe uh, to the show on iTunes. Leave us a review if you want. Follow Jason on Twitter. He's... um, At Excess Baggage. I'm at Fight Balance. And then, again, we've been posting stuff on Facebook. It's just uh, slash the Binge Movie Podcast. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.